Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Misunderstandings are an unfortunate certainty of life. Today we'll see how an unresolved misunderstanding almost caused a civil war between the tribes of Israel, all because of their assumptions and accusations. Part three of Cheryl's message titled Scandalous Grace. I think about my grandchildren. I have five of them. And I think about them all the time and about my children too. What can I pass down to them? I'm at this place where I'm trying to get rid of stuff. Are you there yet? Maybe at 58 you will be. But there's just this thought about I want to just clear out, right? So I'm giving jewelry away that was precious to me. Not all of it, because I still have some years left. But I, I'm, I'm giving away a lot of it. In fact, if, if you would come to burglarize my house, there's not much left. Because I, I try, I'm trying to give it now to my daughters and to my daughter-in-law while I can see them being blessed by it. But like I said, there, there's not much to, to give. I, I loaned my daughter-in-law at Thanksgiving. I said, oh, I'm wearing this locket. It would look so good on you. I bought it in Israel. And last time I was there, she's like, oh, Evelyn, which is my three-year-old granddaughter, wants me to give this back to you because it belongs to you. And she is just stressing out over the fact that I keep wearing it. And so I took it back. But you know, I, I think all the time, I don't have money I don't have, uh, we haven't made the trust yet. I know we need to, but there's not much that the kids are going to get out of my death. I'm just saying, right? There's just not much. That way they won't murder me. There's nothing there. No no matricide here. But what can I give my kids that's imperishable? What can I give them that will be lasting, that is incorruptible, that doesn't rust, that doesn't fade, that it remains substantial, something that they can hold on to. That's secured. The bank can't close and say, well, we needed it more than you did. It's secured. It's fail-safe. It's constant. It's always available. It's eternal. What can I leave to my children? What can I entrust to them that will sustain them, that will help them through any time of life, that will satisfy them, that will bless them, that will establish them, that will protect them, and that will keep them. You know, years ago, I have, my oldest son is hyperactive. Like, he was hyperactive, and he seems to have maintained the same energy level. He was just like, you couldn't really hug him because he didn't hold still long enough. 
And, and when you're talking to him, you're like shouting because you don't know what part of the house your neighborhood he's in. He's just, <laughs> he was just so fast and so hyper. And I remember that I was making quilts because we got really into quilt in a day at Calvary Chapel Vista. It was like our thing. We're making these quilts in a day. We're having these once a month, women would get together and we'd make these quilts. And it was just amazing. So I was making quilts for everybody. Made a quilt for my mom, made a, a quilt for a friend who was getting married, made a quilt for all the babies in the church. Of course, because we were all doing quilts in the day, every baby in the church got like 10 quilts. But we were having so much fun making these quilts. And I remember my son coming in the room and going, oh yeah, this hyperactive kid, another quilt for another person, but not your own family. And then he turned around and ran off someplace. And so I went out and I got this fabric and I started making a quilt for him. And I worked on it and I put it on his bed because the thought was for me, I want something that will comfort him, warm him, bless him, and help him sleep at night when I'm not there. And so I made him this quilt. And I took it upstairs and I put it on his bed. It was the log cabin. And I put it on his bed. And I hear him. I'm downstairs. I hear him say to Brian, Mom just put one of her quilts that she made on my bed. And Brian said, no, she didn't. And he said, yes, she did. You should see it. He goes, no, she made that quilt for you. And the next thing I knew, I heard the, his footsteps running down the stairs. Actually, I think he leapt over them. And he ran up and he hugged me. And just about as I was going to get my arms around him, he was raptured. <laughs> just gone. And I thought, you know, it doesn't matter. Because I made him this quilt and it will stay with him. Do you know he still has that quilt? And it's in tatters, but he can't throw it away because he still loves that mangy quilt that I made him. But, you know, obviously I wanted something that would do all those things for him and it's in tatters. It is so torn. I tried to put new cloth on it, but you know what Jesus said? Don't try putting new cloth on an old quilt. I mean, it just tore. It just... I mean, it's in tatters. I thought about trying to do the corduroy teddy bear thing, like make a teddy bear out of it, but it's, it's too gone. But they, they have it in a basket because the kids love it and it's all it's so ripped up. But you, you think, what can I give them? What can I give them? When I read the news and I see the direction of their peers and what's going on and the pressures... You know, we never had to deal with the things they're dealing with in life. When I see what they're up against, you know, when my kids are saying to me, well, we'll never be able to afford a home in Orange County. We'll never be able to live near you. You got it just right in the market, but we can't afford it. I don't know what am I going to do for the rest of my life? How am I going to make enough money, you know, to afford food? And I'm thinking about all the things, you know, right now we can kind of help them every once in a while, but what about when I'm gone? Certainly money and material assets are not enough. One, I want to protect all my grandkids. I don't have enough money to hire bodyguards for each one of my grandchildren. You know, my 10-year-old, 11-year-old grandson, you know, he's in school in New York 
even says, yeah, I'm in school in New York. And he goes to New York and there were these bullies and there's these things, you know, and I, I want to just go there and go, which kid? Every time I visit, which kid? You know, and that's definitely not the Lord's will, but you want to hire like these bodyguards for your grandkids. I don't have enough wealth to ensure their welfare for life. You know, like, yes, I'm leaving you, you know, a trillion dollars. Besides that, the money that I've given them in the past, it's gone. They spend money so fast. Yo, who in their right mind pays $5 for a donut? My children, they're like, yeah, I bought a cronut. Set me back $8. Who buys, you know, never mind. But even material assets. You know, have you given your children furniture only to find out, yeah, we sold it on eBay? You're like, I would have kept it had I known you were going to sell it. You know, I remember giving a set of knives to my daughter because she said, I need knives. I go to her house to cook. I'm like, where are the knives? Oh, we sold it on eBay. Or I think, no, they returned it. We returned it. We really wanted the money. You're like, you know what? Let's skip the middleman. You just, I'll just give you money. You know, I, I like wrapping a present. I decided to just wrap a dollar and give it to them. <laughs> the greatest treasure... The greatest thing I can pass on is faith in God. That's it. It's the personal testimony I have of what God has done in my life. One of my greatest treasures that I have in my house is copies of the letters that my dad wrote to his mother during his first pastorate in Prescott, Arizona. They are the most amazing letters. One, my dad was hilarious. And just the way he he framed things, and I love it every time there's a typo because I'm like, see, he wasn't perfect. He he can be my father. Because I couldn't have a perfect father. That would that would just be too intimidating. But I, I just love these letters and his humor. In one story, he talks about being absolutely broke totally broke. They didn't know where they were going to get the money. And my grandma and grandpa didn't have much money. My grandpa had had a nervous breakdown and my grandma had to become the breadwinner. That's on my parents and my, on my dad's side, on my mom's side, my grandmother had had a stroke and her father died in his fifties. So there's like not any material resources. So they depended on the Lord. And my dad made like $15 a week in those days. And they lived in the back of the church and they used the bathrooms at the front of the church. And when they needed a shower, they went to some people's house in the church that let them use their shower. I mean, crazy, but they were so happy in Jesus. My dad tells this story when they didn't have any money at all and they just didn't know what they were gonna do. Oh, I could tell you so much. I could tell you about the time the scorpion went and my dad was just waiting to hear my mom scream, but I'll tell you that later different. That's next year when we study Hebrews. So my dad is is writing to my mom and saying, we were totally broke. We didn't have any money. Remember, this was when there was only snail mail, right? And so by the time this letter reached my grandparents, this incident was way gone. But, you know, so my dad's there and he and my mom just finished praying like, Lord, you know our needs. We need provision. And all of a sudden, this Cadillac limousine pulls up to the church. And this chauffeur gets out. And he says, hey, 
you know, my boss wants to marry his doll. Can you do the ceremony? And so my dad says, sure. So he says, my mom goes and she's, she's like eight and a half months pregnant. And she plays the organ and the woman walks down the aisle. That's just the chauffeur, my father, the mafioso, his doll, and my mother on the organ. That's it. So then my mom is both organist and witness along with the chauffeur for this wedding. And my dad does this wedding and he performs it and they go off in the limousine before they leave. He he hands my dad an envelope and they drive off and my dad opens the envelope and he says, oh no. And my mom says, what Chuck, what? And he said, well, I gave them the $10 ceremony and they gave us $100. There's so many stories of faith, just one more. One more. Another time they were, they were broke. Another time. You see, faith always requires a deficit, right? To get the best stories. So they're broke. Another broke story. They're absolutely broke. It's a Sunday afternoon and my mom is pregnant yet again. And she's craving a root beer. Some of you remember, remember A&W root beer. When they had the stands, And they would come up to you and they'd put that tray on the side of your car. For me, that was like heaven because we couldn't afford it. So every time we got to do it, it was like, the tray is on the side of our car. And then they'd bring you out the root beers. Anybody old enough to remember that? Thank God. All right. So (laughs) let me just say, you're old and advanced in years, but we'll get to that later. So my mom was craving a root beer. My dad says, okay, we don't have enough money. I'm sorry, but we don't have enough money. We only have this much, and I know what we're going to get at the market, and that's it. And so what they would do on Sunday afternoons is they would go to a park, and they would take like a piano that could travel. And my mom would play the piano, and my dad would sing at these public parks. Yes. And they would draw a little bit of a crowd, and then my dad would give the gospel. And he'd end it with a song with my mom accompanying him. I actually have a record, but it's warped. I've got to find someone who can fix it. Of my mom playing the piano, my dad singing when they're in their 20s. They made it at like a circus. So anyway, my mom's playing the piano. They have no money. And all of a sudden, this drunk guy takes off his hat and goes, Oh, give this little couple some money. Have a heart. Look at them out in this Arizona sun doing all this for us. And my dad's, you know, in the letters that he's typing, he's got exactly what this drunk guy's saying. And this drunk guy goes and collects money from everybody and puts the pressure on to give to this, this young couple. And then he comes and he gives the money to my mom and dad. And my dad turns to my mom and says, well, I guess you get a root beer. I love those stories. I love those stories. Those are my treasury. Those are like, oh my goodness. When I think about God's faithfulness to his parents, to my parents, but then I think about God's personal faithfulness to me. I have a testimony. I have battles that I've been through that God himself fought for me. There was the battle for my soul. There was the great battle which God fought Satan and sin and death and my own rebellious nature to bring me to himself. 
and how he brought me to himself, how he continued and never gave up on me, how he delivered me from the bondage of my own self, the sinful practices I was emancipated from, the victories he has given me personally, not only my salvation, but victory in trials and the trials I've been through. You see, you also have a testimony. You have a personal testimony and it includes your salvation and emancipation and deliverance, but it also is God's provision. I think of all the bills he has paid. Um, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir used to have this, this song, and I just loved it, and it was food on the table. You know, just all the things God had provided. And, you know, my kids were, like, so sick of hearing that, you know, and they'd go around going, food on the table, you know, like mom's doing it again. But I think of all the bills he's paid. Have you ever got one of those bills like, oh, I don't know how we're going to do this one, and then God comes through. The home he has provided, the food, the clothing, the transportation, the family, the community. I just think about all those things. But then also it's God's promises to me, to you. Do you have a promise that God's fulfilled? I can turn almost any place in the Bible and find a promise and say, yep, he did that for me. Yep, he did that for me. I know these promises and how he has fulfilled his word. Then there's his protection. All those times where God protected us from destruction, devastation, deprivation, disaster, even death. God came through. I mean, I've got too many stories like that. Too many. Nobody should have that many stories. Being a child in the Yom Kippur War and being the first plane with my father, singing Heaven is a Wonderful Place, taking out of Israel. And I remember we went to Ben Gurion Airport. They had the lights all off. They put us all in the plane with flashlights because Israel was under attack. We all get on the plane. We have to keep the shades down. The lights are off inside the plane. And all of a sudden they light up the airport. We take off and then the lights go off at Ben Gurion. And we had to fly without lights on our plane. My dad thought that was great. Who else has a testimony like this, Cheryl? I was in public school then. Just think what you can tell those kids in school. You can give a witness about how you were in the war and God saved you. Like, okay, okay. Tell me again. Yeah, what's the script at? But God, but God. Just recently when we were in Australia, we, through booking.com, we got room a two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment because we were sharing that with Linda um, Rourke and it was less expensive than staying at the Holiday Inn for two people, you know, in two rooms. So we got one room and they put us on the 69th floor and then they gave us those things like, tell all your friends how nice we are. But it was like this incredible room with this view. So we're on the 69th floor and the gym's on the 64th floor. We've got jet lag, but Linda says, do you want to see the gym? And I say, yeah, let's go see the gym. So we go out of our room. I really am going to get to the Bible state. We get out of our room and we get in the elevator and we don't know what we're doing because it's one of those high-tech ones that you've got to show a card. And so it opens on the 65th floor. And I said, Linda, let's just get out and take the stairs. So we get out, we take the stairs only to find out that in this grimy, dingy, dark stairwell up on floor 65, the doors do not open. 
So we go up a flight and the stair does not open. Now, neither one of us brought our cell phones, right? And Brian is asleep by this time because he's got jet lag. And there we are. And I'm thinking, we will not be found for days. We're on the 65th floor of this abandoned stairwell. So we go down a floor, the door's locked. We go down another floor, the door's locked. We keep going down floors, you know, hoping that maybe if we get to the bottom, the door will be unlocked. But hallelujah, on the 36th floor, the door was wedged open. I don't know how, because I tried every door. I'm telling you, I tried 64, 63, 62, 61, 60, and it was open. And we jumped out of there. All she would say to me the whole time is, aren't you glad you're not alone? Yes, 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 yes. Because like, you know, but we get out, we jump in the elevator. Now the elevator won't work. The doors are closed and they won't open and we're not going anywhere. We're hitting the alarm button. And finally, it takes us down to the lobby. Hallelujah. We get off at the lobby and we're like, our cards don't work. And they're like, you were in the residency elevator. How did you get in the residence elevator? We're like, boy, do we have a story for you. You know, if there was a fire, all those doors are locked. We would perish in the stairwell. But you know, when I got out of there, I was just, I said, Linda, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. You know, and then I had to wake up Brian. You don't know. I almost died. This is what we have to pass on. It's personal. It's personal. It's individualized for each one of you. Each one of you have a story. It's personal, but it's also communal. We can talk together of all that God has brought us through. It's eternal. It's not going to stop. Like, well, you've had all the promises. You've had all the blessings of faith you're going to have. No, it keeps going. You know, God's still fighting for me. He's still opening doors on the 36th floor, still wedging them open for me. He has not left me. It's a blessing. It still brings God's favor. It's protective. It's securing and stabilizing. And it's my faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what I want to give my kids. This is what they need. This is what will help. This will bless and protect. And it's essential that we pass it on and pass it down. It is living. You see, we need to tell our children that God saves and he wants to save them. We need to remind them of God's work in their life, of God's deliverance to them, of God's promises, God's blessing, God's warning to them. See, you have your own faith story to pass on, but you need to show them this next generation, how God is already working in their life. Paul the Apostle, when he was in Nero's prison and he was awaiting certain death, he wrote an epistle to Timothy. And he said, look, I know I'm going to die, but Timothy, it's so important. It's so essential that you take this faith, this faith that was in Eunice, your grandmother, this faith that was in Lois, your mother, this faith that you've heard and you've seen in me, this faith that, that you have and you stir it up and you continue in it, that you don't stop, but you keep that which was committed to you, that you're strong in the grace of God. And then he says in 2 Timothy 2.2, that you commit the things, this faith that you have heard to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others. 
That's what it's about. Recently at our When Leaders Lead retreat, Don and I had bought this fountain that had one pot pouring into another pot that poured into another pot. And then the waters regenerated back to the first pot. And I thought, that's what faith does. It pours out completely to the next one. And then the next one pours out what they're receiving to the next one. That's what we do with faith. We are filled with faith. And then we pour out the blessings of faith. Even though the events of Joshua 22 happened thousands of years ago, they are still good lessons for us today. We are not to be quick to judge a situation. Oftentimes, we are too fast to believe the worst and we come to wrong conclusions. We always need to remember who the real enemy is. It's the world. It's the flesh. It's the devil and his powers that war against us in God's kingdom. We defeat the enemy as we seek the Lord for guidance and understanding. Through this, God takes what Satan means for evil and uses it for good. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the treasury of faith as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.